Welcome to C-SPAN's Presidential Recordings. Our first season looks at the presidency of Lyndon Johnson. And we begin this episode aboard Air Force One, just hours after the death of President Kennedy. Now President Lyndon Johnson, along with new First Lady Lady Bird Johnson, pay a condolence call to Rose Kennedy. AF-1 from Crown, a Mrs. Kennedy on. Go ahead, please. Uh, hello, Mrs. Kennedy. Hello, Mrs. Kennedy. Uh, we're talking from the airplane. Can you hear us all right? Over. Hello. Uh, yes, Mrs. Kennedy, I have uh, Mr. Johnson for you here. Yes, thank you. Hello. Mr. Kennedy? Yes. Yes, yes, Mr. President. Yes. I wish to God there was something that I could do, and I wanted to tell you that we were greeting with you. Yes, well, thank you, thank you very much. Thank you very much. I know. I know you love Jack, and he loved you. President Lyndon Johnson and First Lady Lady Bird Johnson speaking with John F. Kennedy's mother, Rose. According to the University of Virginia's Miller Center, President Johnson recorded more than 9,000 phone calls and meetings, totaling 850 hours of conversations. During his first year in office, he taped up to 30 phone calls a day. He used them to keep track of lobbying efforts and political engagements. But by 1965, he became more selective. This 10-part series will look at the milestone events during President Johnson's time in office, including the Warren Commission, the 1964 Civil Rights Bill, the Gulf of Tonkin incident, the 1964 presidential campaign, the March on Selma, the Great Society legislation, and the war in Vietnam. We'll be back in a moment. Now, before we dive into the series about the LBJ phone call tapes, we wanted to talk with Mark Silverstone. He's at the University of Virginia where he chairs the Presidential Recordings Program in the Miller Center of Public Affairs. Professor Silverstone, C-SPAN has been playing these tapes, these phone call tapes, for years, but how did we find out and when that they existed? Well, that all goes back to Richard Nixon. In the summer of 1973, when the Senate Watergate Committee was exploring evidence that might have linked the White House to a variety of activities that uh, came to be associated with uh, Watergate, the grab-all convention for uh, a host of of, um, activities the Nixon administration was involved in, uh, illegal activities. And it came to light that President Nixon had a recording device in the Oval Office. It would turn out that he had recording devices elsewhere as well, uh, including the residence and at Camp David. And it was a startling finding, uh, one that would ultimately transform the Watergate investigation. But it also would transform the way that we came to understand the presidency, and the specific presidencies of uh, several who held that office, uh, from Franklin Roosevelt all the way up through Nixon and beyond, uh, because Ronald Reagan actually did make some tapes from the Situation Room, or at least funneled through the Situation Room with foreign heads of state. But no one, but Reagan did not really record those conversations in the surreptitious manner that Nixon did nor his predecessors did, uh, most significantly John F. Kennedy and Lyndon Johnson. And the day after it was disclosed that Nixon had a taping system, the questions went out to the head of the Kennedy Library and the head of the Johnson Library. Did those presidents also tape their conversations? 
And the answer was yes, they did. So in 1993, they were finally at least partially released, 850 hours of recordings, 9,400 telephone conversations. Did the Johnson family have to give permission? Did they control the tapes? Well, Lady Bird certainly gave her her thumbs up to the process, which was uh, extraordinarily important in legitimating the release of those materials. Uh, the library had uh, come into possession of them following the, the end of the Johnson administration. Harry Middleton, the director of the library, uh, knew about them uh, once uh, Lyndon Johnson had passed in January of 73, uh, and uh, over time, he began to fear about their quality, uh, given uh, tape degradation and the the challenges that would have resulted in trying to rescue what whatever was on these uh, on these materials. So he began the process after checking with lawyers at the library and the and the National Archives of processing these materials. They were they were unprocessed, um, um, not indexed. And he begins that process in 1990. Uh, some tapes had been released earlier as part of a lawsuit, in fact, between uh, the William Westmoreland's uh, suit against CBS uh, in 1982, but it was really uh, the result of the Oliver Stone film JFK in 1991 that created such a firestorm around uh, what might have resulted in Kennedy's assassination that the call went out to try to, to to dig up whatever material the government might still be holding relating to the Kennedy assassination, particularly given Stone's thesis, um, much of it centering around uh, Kennedy's and then Johnson's handling of Vietnam. And so some of those materials that the Assassination Records Review Board uh, were interested in, a board that uh, that Congress impaneled were these White House tapes, and so it was part of that broader effort, effort to to release them, to make them available. Uh, that Middleton then then approached Lady Bird, and, and even though President Johnson himself had indicated that these materials were not to see the light of day for 50 years, Lady Bird uh, gave her assent that yes, they can be released, uh, believing as Middleton did as well that that they would redound to Johnson's uh, benefit in the court of public opinion. And I think that, that they were both proved right in that regard. So the tapes begin to come out in bulk, uh, really in, in the latter part of the, the 1990s, and resulting in, as you say, those 850 hours of, of tapes uh, as a whole. So, Mark Silverstone, in 2008, the entire library was released, correct? Well, not the entire library. Uh, there are still uh, materials that have been withheld, and that's usually on account of conversations that Johnson had that touch on uh, the personal dimensions of of various figures on the tapes or relationships he might have had with these figures if if the material on the tapes relates to Johnson's conduct in office and and the way he discharged the powers of the office then that's all fair game but once it, uh, the content of the conversations begin 
to veer off into more specifically personal matters, uh, then that material is usually redacted uh, and withheld. Now, uh, researchers can essentially petition the government for a review of that material to get them released. But it is the case in uh, the Kennedy, Johnson, and Nixon recordings, which constitute 99% of all of the secret presidential recordings, that you have a fair amount of material that is withheld. Professor Silverstone, do we know anything about President Johnson's motivation in creating these tapes? Well, this wasn't the first time that LBJ had recorded his conversations. Uh, there's uh, some indication that he might have recorded while in the Senate, but better evidence that he recorded when he was vice president. And uh, we're confident that the uh, Lyndon Johnson Library is working through those materials now to, to try to release them and help us better understand uh, Johnson as a, as a public servant uh, and uh, hopefully give us a, a better clue as to what kind of a, a president he was. But Johnson recognized that the tapes uh, that he would use as president certainly would help him in the conduct of his official duties. Uh, it would be easier for him to recall, even though his powers of recall were, were simply extraordinary, it would be easier for him to uh, have a better sense of what transpired in conversations with legislators who came into his office. Uh, and we do know that some of these conversations uh, in the office were recorded uh, on speakerphone, but usually they were telephone conversations. So yes, when Johnson spoke to a legislator on the phone, he would have those uh, often have those tapes recorded. And his secretaries transcribed many of them in real time, providing Johnson with these readouts that he could then refer to subsequently to hold somebody's feet to the fire. And it wasn't just legislators. Johnson taped conversations with cabinet officials, with private individuals, businessmen, uh, with confidence uh, or confidants such as um, Clark Clifford or Abe Fortas. Uh, they really provide a wonderful window into the presidency and specifically Johnson's presidency itself. Well, what we do know about President Johnson is that he could be very persuasive. We want to play a call from February 1st, 1964. It was with Kennedy brother-in-law, Sergeant Shriver. And we hear President Johnson informing Mr. Shriver that he will be named as the head of the war on poverty. Good morning, Mr. President. How are you? I'm going to announce your appointment at that press conference. What press conference? Sir, no. Well, God, I think it, uh, it would be uh, advisable, if you don't mind, if uh, I could have uh, uh, this weekend, I wanted to sit down with a couple of people and see what we could get in the way of some sort of a plan. Because what happens, at least my thought, is that what happens is that you, you announce somebody or hear somebody else, and they don't know what the hell they're doing or what the program's going to be specifically. And who's going to carry it? Then you're, you're in a hell of a hole because we, they we, start calling you up and saying, well, now, what are you going to do? Well, well, just don't talk to them. Just go away and go to Camp David. Figure it out. We need something to say to the press. We've got to say to them, and I've got to tell them what I talked to you about yesterday. And you can just take off and work out your Peace Corps any way you want to. You can be 
head of the committee and have some acting operator. If you want Bill to help you, I'll let him do that. I'll do anything, but I want to announce this and get it behind me. So I keep quit getting all these other pressures, and uh, I I think you're gonna, you've got to do it. You just can't let me down. So the quicker we get it behind us, the better. And, uh, you can talk to them as special assistant to the president a hell of a lot easier, and you can talk to them just as peace administrator. And if they, if they, if they want to talk to you, you can tell them, uh, speak for me. And that was from February 1st, 1964, President Johnson talking with Sergeant Shriver. We're talking with Mark Silverstone of the University of Virginia. Professor Silverstone, what does that call tell us about President Johnson, and how much persuasion did have you witnessed in these tapes? Well, I think this tape, uh, along with several others, uh, indicates that it was really difficult for Johnson to take no for an answer. Uh, this this tape goes on and on, and LBJ is simply relentless in not letting Shriver off the hook. He is going to be the head of this war on poverty. And for Johnson, he needed somebody in that position pretty quickly because it was about a month earlier in early January that he had talked about launching this war on poverty and so didn't want to let more time go by uh, and convey the impression that the administration didn't have its act together. So he needs somebody in that position. Shriver is uh, a perfect person for that, especially given his ties, as you mentioned, to the Kennedys. But Johnson uses all his powers of persuasion that he had honed in a lifetime of persuading uh, from bullying to shaming, to flattery, uh, to really buttering up Shriver. Uh, he's simply not going to let Shriver go, uh, going so far as to say that you're simply going to appear uh, at this press conference where we're going to announce your name. Uh, and uh, it, it calls to mind, as I mentioned, several other conversations of the sort. One of them that comes to mind is Johnson's conversation with Richard Russell in the days after Senator Richard, Richard Russell from Georgia, in the days after the Kennedy assassination, in which Johnson places Russell on the Warren Commission, much to Russell's uh, reluctance, uh, especially because that meant Russell would have had to work with uh, Chief Justice Earl Warren, who would be running that commission, and given Warren's stance on civil rights and his role in the Brown v. Board education decision from the previous decade, that was really anathema to him. But it's of a pattern that you see with Johnson in which he, again, uses all of these tools to try to get his way. Now, according to your former associate, David Coleman, who was an associate professor at the Miller Center, Robert Kennedy learned of the taping system pretty early on in LBJ's presidency. Does that mean that others, including perhaps Sergeant Shriver, who we just heard, did they know about this taping system as well? I'm not so sure that Shriver knew about it, but certainly Johnson's secretaries knew uh, because they were tasked with transcribing many of those conversations. Uh, in fact, they were the ones who made sure that the conversations were taped, as Johnson would signal to them uh, through an 
open door between his office and theirs that they were to to take that conversation or to tape that conversation. The Secret Service uh, uh, officials who manned the system uh, also knew that it was taped. It's possible that Walter Jenkins might have suspected that Johnson was taping, given what we presume to be Jenkins's role uh, during Johnson's vice presidency, perhaps, in facilitating uh, the taping of calls then. It's also conceivable later on that his chief of staff in the second administration or the, the presidency that Johnson wins uh, on his own from 65 through 69, Marvin Watson, that he might have suspected as well because Watson himself taped calls that were coming in. So uh, it was not unheard of at the time, but Bobby Kennedy certainly knew by the tail end of his brother's administration that calls were being taped. taped. And, and yes, indeed, uh, we believe that he was uh, doubly cautious when speaking with LBJ, uh, that whatever he said uh, might get repeated back verbatim someday. Is there any thought to how he learned? Was it through Evelyn Lincoln, uh, President Kennedy's secretary, or Arthur Schlesinger, maybe? Well, uh, we we do know that uh, some of the missile crisis tapes were uh, were used uh, in, in uh, early drafts of uh, Bobby Kennedy's, what would become his essentially um, drafts of, of, of a book that would turn into 13 days for the, the uh, campaign of, of 1968. Um, but we don't know precisely when he found out about it in, in 1963, even though we do know uh, that his secretary in late 63 uh, knew about it. So there are still some mysteries surrounding the tapes uh, and the knowledge that Kennedy Associates, as well as uh, Johnson Associates, had of those materials. That's still, I think, uh, out there remaining to be discovered. UVA professor Mark Silverstone, I should have asked you this early on, I guess, but were these tapes treated as official government records? Well, uh, these records were seen or or understood by the presidents themselves to be the private property of those individuals, uh, and they did not become the public property of the United States until Congress passed the Presidential Records Act of 1978, uh, which ended kind of a a torturous history from the point in 1973 when we learned about the tapes to 1974 when Nixon resigned and Congress essentially sequestered all the tapes to, to make sure that they would not be destroyed to finally then again in 78, which transformed those materials from from private property to public property. So when the presidents were making these uh, tape recordings, uh, no one had a sense that they would be disclosed, that the presidents were either going to be using them for their own purposes in real time, such as, as Johnson did, or for posterity as they wrote their memoirs, uh, as Kennedy was 
would likely have done, uh, or uh, or just to maintain a, a record of what was said, not necessarily for the um, the the powers of persuasion that they might have uh, added to Johnson's kit bag, uh, but to have a record uh, of of what transpired. And this is some of what had gone on with with Richard Nixon, uh, but but nobody really. None of of these individuals thought that they were likely to be outed uh, at a later date. And we're talking with Mark Silverstone, who is chair of the Presidential Recordings Program at the Miller Center at the University of Virginia. And according to the Miller Center, President Johnson taped up to 29 phone calls a day. He taped everybody, including his wife, Lady Bird, here from March 7th, 1964, a conversation between the president and Mrs. Johnson. She's talking about how he looked when he was giving a speech. Mrs. Johnson is calling, asking if she could speak to the president for a moment concerning his press conference. You want to listen for about one minute to uh, yes, my critique, or would you rather wait till tonight? Yes, night? ma'am. I'm willing to. I thought that you looked strong, firm, and like a reliable guy. Your looks were, were splendid. The close-ups were much better than the distance ones. Well, you can't get them good. Well, well, I will say this. They were more close-ups than they were distance ones. Uh, during the statement, you were a little breathless, and there was too much looking down, and I think it was a little too fast. Not enough change of pace. Uh, drop-in voice at the end of sentence. Um, there was a considerable pickup in drama and interest when the questioning began. Uh, your voice was not- noticeably better and your facial expression was noticeably better. Um, the mechanics of the room were not too good because although I heard you well throughout every bit of it, I did not hear your questioners clearly. Uh, well, the questioners won't talk. Uh, some of them you could hear, and, 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 and but in generally you could not hear them very well. Uh, every now and then you need a good, crisp answer for change of pace, and therefore I was very glad when you answered one man. Uh, the answer to, is no to both of your questions. Mark Silverstone, that was President Johnson and his wife, Lady Bird Johnson. We heard a beep in there. Was that a redaction? Yes, that's exactly what it would be. Uh, Likely something that President Johnson had said about, uh, if I recall, one of those journalists uh, that he was referring to. When it comes to these tapes, were there several with Lady Bird, and is she always quite forward with her advice yeah this i think is a is a revealing tape uh with lady bird uh johnson tapes a variety of conversations with her um oftentimes uh, somebody else is on the line whether it's dick russell or somebody else that may be coming to dinner that night or or a politician uh that uh, the two of them know, and, and Johnson puts Lady Bird on to say hello, and she is wonderful. She is one of his uh, best 
perhaps in some ways uh, most helpful advisors, uh, and her political savvy was extraordinary. In this conversation, you see her doing what few people really could do to President Johnson or with President Johnson, and that is really speak truth to power. She is commenting on his appearance, on his delivery, on the content, what it is he's saying, and when he's saying it, she's even talking about maybe some ways to reshape the room so the acoustics are better. Uh, It's really a complete rundown that she provides, at the end of which she pronounces his performance uh, with the grade of a B plus. So she is on it, uh, and he greatly values her opinion, which is why he's asking or accepting it here, uh, and he had asked for it at other times. And I, I would stress that he really did seek it out because frequently uh, in the mornings when Johnson would begin his day uh, just getting up from bed, the first thing he would do is turn to some of the night reading that lay on his table, uh, stacks of uh, well over 100 pages, and would routinely pass along memos to Ladybird next to him Uh, for her response. So she was up on what it was Johnson himself was facing and is, as I mentioned previously, one of his most important advisors. Certainly in the run-up to the 1964 Democratic Convention, when she has to really talk him into running, he had been kind of... uh, Uh, hemming and hawing over whether he should go ahead and do it, uh, which we would see throughout Johnson's career, in fact. But she is adamant that he needs to make sure that he goes to Atlantic City and accepts the nomination of his party as president. And then into 1968, when Johnson for months and months is toying with the idea of not running, Lady Bird is also instrumental in that decision as well. Where can people find and listen to the tapes in their entirety, Professor Silverstone? There are several places to do so. Uh, Certainly the Lyndon Johnson Library, which is the repository of all of the tapes, all of the Johnson tapes. Uh, I think audiences would do well to to, uh, go to the library site. The Miller Center itself, through our website, millercenter.org, Uh, also makes the tapes available for free download, so visitors to our site can do that. The work that we do in transcribing and publishing scholarly editions of these transcripts uh, with scene setters, full annotations, and footnotes, that's available through the University of Virginia Press at the Presidential Recordings Digital Edition. Uh, our publication that we use to publish really all of our work on the presidential recordings. But then lastly, I would encourage uh, your audience to visit lbjtapes.org, which is a collaboration that we entered into with the Johnson Library last year to make available free of charge to the public upwards of 100 conversations that span the entirety of Johnson's presidency and touch on some of the most crucial issues that came before him. That's lbjtapes.org.
And we've been talking with Mark Silverstone, chair of the Presidential Recordings Program at the University of Virginia's Miller Center. Professor Silverstone, thank you so much for joining us today. Pleased to be with you. Hear history as it happened with President Lyndon Johnson's private phone calls coming up on this first season of C-SPAN's Presidential Recordings. Find it wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe so you never miss an episode.